This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Radio Times Meets Podcast, presented by Francis Taylor. Darkly comic BBC series Inside Number 9 is known for being unpredictable, groundbreaking and terrifying. But Deadline, a live episode broadcast in October 2018, broke all the rules and took even the show's biggest fans by surprise. Creators and stars Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith sat down for an exclusive interview at the BFI and Radio Times Television Festival to discuss just how they masterminded what was described by many as the TV event of the year. So the last time I spoke to both of you was ahead of the live episode last year. Um, you yeah. did pull the wool over everybody's eyes. You must be very proud of what you <laughs> what you pulled off. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to keep any secrets in telly because everyone wants to know what's going to happen so they can watch it and go oh yeah that's what I read was going to happen the night before so it was lovely to do something where we could talk about the the anxiety of doing a live thing because that was real and and you know everyone was saying are you worried that anything might go wrong and we were like well hopefully you know and, and we were able to sort of talk to speak about the truth of that and yet we knew we had this big thing that we just we, we couldn't get out otherwise you sort of you, we'd lost everything hadn't we if if it became apparent that we were going to deliberately look like we'd gone wrong well we wanted to sell deadline as an episode with the story of this mobile phone and everything and so it was enjoyable trying to spin out what that what that story might have been and who these characters were whereas really we knew they were quite disposable Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Sorry, I can't. Can you put the phone closer to your mouth? I can't quite hear. 
maybe you could turn that into a, a real episode at some point, <laughs> that storyline. Well, I wish now we'd done, we had filmed that entire episode and then when it went wrong in, on the night, those that watched it saw that and then if you went to iPlayer, you just got deadline and you never saw this other thing that happened only on that night for the live experience of it. But there was no time to be filming <laughs> pretend episodes. But enough filming one, the never real mind ones, two. Never mind the real yeah, ones. How early did you know that this is what you wanted to do with the live episode and create this almost like, well, it reminded me of Ghostwatch, to be honest, sort of Michael Parkinson, 1990s. Yeah. 90s. Well, they asked us to do the live episode and we didn't see a reason to do it because it felt a little bit like you get a lot. It's not that special anymore. Feel, I mean, they're obviously really hard to pull off well, but everyone does them. Soaps do them and you get these events surrounding um, when something's going to happen live. So we thought... The only reason to do it would be if it was to play with the fact that it is live and that would mean, could we make it look like it's gone wrong? And that was, the, I think, the kernel of why it thought it was suddenly was an exciting idea to use that, that as a piece of television. Did you have any inspiration in another shows? Again, I've just mentioned Ghostwatch, but anything like that that uh, you drew on? Or was this your, just your pure creation? Well, I mean, it was in our minds, wasn't it? Because we know Ghostwatch very well. And yeah. that was a great thing. I mean, the funny thing about Ghostwatch is it was never, it didn't pretend to be a live show. It was a drama and it, it came on. It's a Ghostwatch by Stephen Volk. And there was no tricking the audience into thinking this is a, a sort of first in television where they're doing an exploration in ghosts and, and hunting and an early gestation of most haunted, really, wasn't it? Ghostwatch. But we didn't, uh, we wanted to make it look like it was a normal episode and then as truthfully as we could play the, the bit where it goes wrong, you know, and then go into. V real versions of ourselves. I didn't think they'd let us do it. I mean, we wrote the script pretty much on spec and yeah. sent it in to uh, to Adam, and I thought he'd come back with, no, what, do, what were you thinking? We can't do this on the BBC. So we were amazed, really, that it took on a life of its own once, once we'd written it and had the idea. And... Because um, it, it is an anathema to the... Uh, to, the notion of trying to keep an audience if you're deliberately playing with the idea that it's broken down, you know. Mm. And I think a lot of people turned off, but I'm only the more proud of that because I think we got it right. It was a sort of a brilliant thing that people thought, right, oh, that really is it. It's not a trick. Turn over. There's also so many precarious elements in it in terms of sending out a tweet and, and putting the actual TV on yeah. as well. I mean, I, I don't know, did, any, did all of that work exactly how you were planning it on the night? Yeah, the only things that went wrong were what we wanted to go wrong, and, and that was the joy of, of the night, really. In terms of what we wanted to achieve, everything was spot on, um, because people were flicking over to make sure that there was news footage on BBC One of the Brazilian elections, and people actually flicked over, and it was a very memorable bit with you know big yellow and um, green shirts, and uh, that was lovely to have. And then we had uh, the tweet went out, and that had an amazing response. Uh, so, yeah, things could have gone wrong. And if we'd made some mistakes ourselves that weren't deliberate mistakes, that would have kind of undermined the whole thing. So, honestly, it was the most exhilarating thing to do and, and really proud that we managed to get it wrong yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was very frightening in the beginning. I've never done live television. It was uh, interviews sometimes, but uh, the pressure as we built down to that to you know, going live, quite literally. I was, my, my playing that vicar with that cup of tea, I was shaking, literally. I thought, I've done so much theatre and yet this is nothing, this feels so frightening. And I had to completely really focus and, and put it to bed and then, but what was great was having the elements of the, the archive stuff peppered throughout the evening. We could recoup and go, right, we've got the next bit, you ready? Good. Mm. 
And it wasn't like once it began at 10 o'clock, that was it till half 10. It was like we had these respites where we could recover. But it was still quite scary. Not surprised. How did you feel as well beforehand? I mean, we were shaking. Were you quite that nervous? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I had quite a bit of business to do in, in the kitchen and, and um, you know, the timing everything. And uh, as Reese said, the adrenaline, when it gets into you, you know, you, you do get quite shaky. And you, it was utterly nerve-wracking waiting for this tap on the shoulder. They were counting down, but I knew that I'd get this little tap and I would have to walk out in front of the live cameras and think. And as I was putting my key in the door to it, I was thinking, my mum's watching this now that everyone knows watching it live and what goes through your head is is you know you can't help but have all these weird thoughts so uh but once we settled into it and we got that first scene done uh that was a that was a big relief wasn't it yeah 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 and then it was it was quite fun actually the rest of it Mm. playing the bits where we're in the dressing room just chatting about it it was it was it was good fun we'd rehearsed that a lot and it was enjoyable yeah had you added any of those bits in the script later on as well? Because, you know, in the dressing room, you're saying we're not even going out on Halloween and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that was put in later when we found out we weren't going in on Halloween. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what we could do? We'd actually have a dig at them for not putting it on Halloween night. Well, I could just say it. So that was added later. But there was the, the other... The one factor throughout the night was that we had to be on time. So sometimes they would run in and say, be a bit quicker this in this next bit because we're stretching a bit. So... I think the tendency to do a lot when you do live stuff, you gabble and it goes, it's, it comes in too short. So we uh, we weren't doing that. We needed to get quicker. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. It went really like clockwork. And it was a brilliant like, team as well because you know we had to get a ghost into position and then the camera had to go past and then that ghost had to leave and so the whole team and the the whole you know I wish we'd filmed the backstage and what was going on behind the camera because it was absolutely fantastic watching all these people who knew exactly what they had to do with their job and then what went on in the gallery as well god god knows we've no idea how stressful or not that was was, but Yeah, it was, it was a really exciting evening. How many people had you told as well in, in your lives? And, the, and when you got your phones back, did it you have a lot of sort of commiserating messages with people saying, I'm so sorry, this is going so horribly yeah. wrong for didn't you? Didn't tell anybody. I mean, I don't, well, I didn't. Yeah, I think and, I told about two people, that, but not any detail, just mm-hmm. uh, we're doing a live thing. And then you killed them. And then I, they, were, <laughs> they were eliminated. Disposed of now. Right? Uh, no, that that was the, that was the fun of it. I mean, I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my um, my partner. And we had a in my house. Obviously, I wasn't there, but we had a power cut. So she was desperately trying to find some way of watching it on a phone or an iPad because the television had gone off, and she was really. And then when she, when the picture came on, and of course the sound goes, which is the first problem. She's like, Oh no, I can't believe yeah, it. It's... A lot of people felt very sick for us. I put a message on Twitter. All right. Right. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, me and Steve Pemberton on BBC Two now. Right, I don't want to tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> because my phone was on because I had to do the tweets. It was my phone in the scene and, and I had texts coming through going, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And I was thinking, oh, my God, they're all falling for it. And I was just <laughs> swiping them away. It's good. That must have been amazing sitting there while you're on the telly looking at people. <laughs> from, yeah, I mean, the best one was from Darren Brown, who I thought, this is the kind of thing you would do. And we've even tricked you, so I was very pleased about that. <laughs> Well, that's it. The reaction from everyone was just amazing. Was it? Was it what you were expecting from viewers? There was such an outpouring for it. It was. It was, it was more, better, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, much more. Because we thought there's, you know, people know inside number nine. They know that we like to kind of play a, a few games with the audience, and so one of the fears is that, you know, if if three or four people on Twitter went straight away, oh, this is this isn't real. But, and, and of course, the, the odd one or two did, but the overwhelming majority of people, even knowing the show as well as they do, 
absolutely fell for it. And people who work in television as well absolutely fell for it. I don't think we quite realised the power of how sorry people would feel for us about it looking like it had gone wrong in that section where the sound goes. I think it's it's pathetic, so sad watching it back, you look at it and it's it's pitiable to see us still going along when the sound has gone in. And I imagine people that were gunning for it to go right were so like, oh no, I've worked so hard on it. It's the most horrific thing. It is, of all the things. More than ghosts or anything. Just that moment. It was great. <laughs> I must admit, I felt like that watching at home. Yeah, so, I was just speaking to you beforehand, I thought, oh, yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> but again, that just shows how incredibly well you pulled yeah, it off. Yeah, it was good. So, obviously, we've got the fifth series on the horizon as well. Where are you up to with that at the minute? Uh, it's still being put together and edited. So, uh, we've seen some of it, but uh, it's in the post production phase. So, it's all still in its uh, component parts. We filmed it. And uh, it's good, I think. Yeah, exciting. It must be harder, though, to up the ante increasingly because obviously, you get, again, you've done so many special episodes before, but after this, does it bring a bit of added pressure now for what viewers will expect from, from the next series? I mean, you can't, you can't uh, write with, with those expectations in mind. And if anything, you kind of thought, well, having done this ex- very experimental thing, let's not go anywhere near that now because you, you can't play with that anymore. We've, we've done that. Let's go back to telling really good half-hour stories and um, see, uh, you know, the different genres we can come up with and the different locations we come up with. But we, we, we didn't think now we have to do something that's even more shocking than, than the, the broadcast breaking down. I think uh, then it would start to become tricksy and repetitive and predictable. And one thing inside number nine strives not to be as predictable. So you'll have to wait and see what series five has in store. Well, that's a perfect way to end. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Radio Times Meets Inside Number 9 podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and don't forget to subscribe for future interviews. It was presented by Francis Taylor and produced by Ed Beck, Ollie Alder and Ross Shepherd. <laughs>